This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Welcome to On the Shelf for March 2018. It's been a busy month here at the Lesbian Historic Motif Project, and I'm really excited about the things we have coming up to share with you, not just this month, but in the year to come. If you've been following along on the blog, you'll already know the lineup for the Podcast Fiction Project. When I finished the first read-through of submissions, I knew immediately that I had a problem. There were just too many good stories that I wanted to buy. Fortunately, I could solve this with an executive decision. Rather than buying two stories for a half-year trial run of the fiction project, I just went ahead and bought four to cover all of the fifth Saturday episodes for the entire year. That will also give me more data to see whether and how I want to extend the fiction project in the future. I haven't decided on the order of appearance for the whole season yet, but here are the selections in chronological order of setting. Peace Weaver by Jennifer Nestoiko. In 6th century Denmark, one of the secondary characters from the heroic poem Beowulf comes home again, looking for a different type of peace than she once wove for her kingdom. At the Mouth by Gurmika Mann In 10th century India, a temple dancer and a seamstress sort out how best to further each other's happiness. It's a heart-wrenching tale of the choices that love demands. Inscribed by V. M. Agab In 15th century Venice, Luca apprentices to her father in disguise as a young man, and then falls hopelessly in love with Coletta. But Coletta's problem is more difficult to solve, unless Luca is willing to take a daring chance. One Night in St. Martin by Catherine Lundoff The 17th century Caribbean is full of spies, pirates, and tangled international politics. This story has them all, as well as romance. I'm especially happy that after I'd identified the best stories that I'd received, I found I also had a broad variety of time periods, cultures, and types of story. We have young love and love returned to late in life. We have adventure and quiet friendship. We have women who transgressed gender norms and those who find love within conventional structures. We have happy endings, bittersweet ones, and stories where the eventual end isn't yet unknown. I'm so excited to be able to bring these stories to my podcast listeners. At the time I'm recording this, I'm still sorting out which story will debut the series at the end of this month, but I'm sure you'll enjoy all of them, no matter which one comes first. I have a number of different approaches to choosing which publications to cover in the blog. Sometimes I try to pick ones that relate to the theme of that month's podcast, like when I did my month-long special on Sappho and her poetry last year. I've done a little of that this past month with two biographies of actress Charlotte Cushman. One, by Lisa Merrill, published in 2000, looks very specifically at how Cushman felt about her relationships with women and how she carefully managed the way they affected her public reputation. The second biography, by Joseph Leach and published in 1970, makes a strong contrast, as well as an interesting case study in how historians and biographers have actively worked to erase queerness from the subjects of their study. 
When I chose these books to blog, it wasn't so much to have a coordinated theme this time, but because I needed to read them in order to put the podcast together. I'm starting the March blogs off with another coordinated publication, a biography of speedboat racer and lesbian celebrity Joe Carstairs, which ties in with the interview at the end of this show. Sometimes I'll choose publications for the blog simply because something came to my attention and I wanted to read the material anyway. That was the case with the three linguistics-related articles that started off last month's blogs. I was a little disappointed by the one by Mary Jo Bonnet on the chronology of words for lesbians in French because gaps in her data undermine some of her key conclusions. The other vocabulary-related article by Randy P. Connor was interesting in part for having an extensive vocabulary list of terms used for both male and female homosexuals in pre-modern France. And I was really delighted with Diane Watts' close examination of the phrase clipping and kissing as used in 16th century English, and how it was used in an English translation of the story of Ida and Olive to indicate sexual activity between the two women. I'm going to digress for a moment of academic fangirl squee, because a couple weeks ago, Professor Watt tweeted a link to my blog in connection with a different publication of hers that I'd included, and oh man, nothing quite like the panic of realizing that somebody's actually paying attention to what you're saying about their work. Getting back to how I choose articles, sometimes I'll line up a small group of publications from my to-do list that have a related theme, like when I had a group of three books on sexuality in the Middle Ages that I covered last fall. Sometimes I'll just wander into the library in my house and grab something at random that I haven't covered yet. But sometimes timing and logistics pushes me in a particular direction. Covering a substantial book in a single blog, like I did for the Cushman biographies, takes up a big chunk of time. So for the next couple months, I'm going to focus on journal articles instead and try to line up a few months' worth to give me a bit of breathing space. So just to let you in on a bit of my process and how I do this, I spent last Saturday in the Cal Berkeley Library with a spreadsheet of call numbers and a cell phone app that turns photos directly into PDFs. I started out with a list of 70 articles, that's 70, to try to track down and made my way through about 50 of them before I ran out of time. From those 50, I ended up with 28 photocopied articles plus eight books that I identified as being useful enough that I went online and bought them although I really wish there was a non-Amazon site that aggregated secondhand book listings conveniently. The rest of the items that I worked through in my list weren't on the shelf or were available only in electronic form. Such a variety of options gives me the chance to pick a few to start with that coordinate with this month's essay, which is an adaptation of a blog I wrote on the theme of falling in love with cross-dressing women in historic literature. So I'll fill out the rest of the March blog spots with Caroline Gonda's Lesbian Narrative in the Travels and Adventures of Mademoiselle de Richelieu, Christina Straub's The Guilty Pleasures of Female Theatrical Cross-Dressing and the Autobiography of Charlotte Chark, and Ad Putter's Transvestite Nights in Medieval Life and History, which is particularly interesting as it discusses positive portrayals of men cross-dressing as women in medieval literature. As I mentioned, this month's essay will be an adaptation of a blog I wrote a couple years ago on the use of gender disguise in historic literature as a way of creating a context for same-sex attraction, and how various different texts handled the consequences of that attraction. I'll be adding some further analysis of how the gender disguise trope in historic literature creates a site of intersection for both lesbian motifs and transgender motifs, and how it can point out some of the inherent problems with modern identity groups trying to lay exclusive claim to people or works in the past that existed within an entirely different set of models for gender and sexuality.
This month's author guest will be fantasy and science fiction writer Elizabeth Baer in celebration of the release of her second Karen Memory book, an alternate history steampunk adventure featuring lesbian protagonists. Elizabeth is a wonderfully entertaining guest, and you should go out and read Karen Memory now so that you'll be ready for Stone Mad when it comes out later in the month. More details on that are coming up in the next segment where I talk about forthcoming books. And I'd also like to congratulate last month's guest, Ellen Clages. The novella we talked about, Passing Strange, has been nominated as a finalist for the Nebula Award. The Nebulas are a set of awards voted on by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America organization. Let's keep our fingers crossed that the members of that organization find it the most brilliant novella of the year, like I did. I know that as a SOFA member, I'll certainly be voting for it. Let's talk about some new historical and historically inspired books coming out this month. Because there are so few lesbian historical books overall, I cast a fairly wide net in this ongoing segment and indicate whether a book is purely historical, is set in a real-world history with fantastical elements, or is historically inspired, but set in an alternate history or alternate world. Of course, the first book to mention is the one our featured author will be talking about, the steampunk alt-historical Stone Mad by Elizabeth Baer, coming out from Tor.com. Here's the blurb. Readers met the irrepressible Karen Memory in Elizabeth Baer's 2015 novel, Karen Memory, and fell in love with her steampunk Victorian Pacific Northwest city and her down-to-earth storytelling voice. Now Karen is back with Stone Mad, a new story about spiritualists, magicians, conmen, and an angry lost Tommyknocker, a magical creature who generally lives in the deep gold mines of Alaska, but has been kidnapped and brought to Rapid City. Karen and Priya are out for a night on the town, celebrating the purchase of their own little ranch and Karen's retirement from the Hotel Macherie, when they meet the Arcadia sisters, spiritualists who unexpectedly stir up the Tommyknocker in the basement. The ensuing show could bring down the house if Karen didn't rush in to rescue everyone she can. In the purely historical category, we have The Northwoods by Jane Hoppen, coming out from Bold Strokes Books. It's a historical romance with the fairly popular setting of the American frontier in the mid-19th century, involving a cross-dressing woman passing as a man. The blurb says, In 1853, Wisconsin, Evelyn Bauer's husband dies, and to support her children and their farm, she must disguise herself as him and work the logging camp for the winter. Sarah Bell has lost her partner Abigail to pneumonia. When she's offered a job as a cook's helper at the logging camp, she has little choice but to go. The two women secretly forge a friendship as they struggle to survive the harsh environment. As Evelyn's and Sarah's feelings grow, tension silently builds, and their unspoken passion will either force them apart or bind them together forever. A book that looks like it may stray over the line a teensy bit from history into alternate history is Free to Love by Ali Spooner and Annette Morey from Affinity Rainbow Publications. This is a pair of intertwined stories set in the Caribbean. The date isn't clear from the blurb, but it looks like either the late 18th century or early 19th century. Ali Spooner's contribution is The Chandler's Daughter. Captain Hilary Blythe loves sailing the Atlantic coast on her journeys to deliver goods. Appalled by the growth of the slave trade, vowing a way to help, her thoughts turn to piracy frequently. Will helping those enslaved jeopardize her life and the life she hopes to have with the Chandler's daughter? The other story is by Annette Morey, which is Forbidden Love. When Captain Blythe brings a small group of rescued slaves to a mission on Antigua, life for Elizabeth Allen changes forever. 
Elizabeth feels an instant connection to Kia, one of the young women. A devout Christian, Elizabeth struggles to align her feeling for Kia and her devotion to the church. Will Elizabeth allow the forbidden love she feels for Kia, or will faith overrule her heart? The fourth book I found this month is more of a fictionalized biography. Undiscovered Country, a novel inspired by the lives of Eleanor Roosevelt and Lorena Hickok. It's written by Kelly O'Connor and published by Pegasus Books. Here's the blurb. In 1932, New York City, top reporter Lorena Hick Hickok starts each day with the front page byline and finishes it by swigging bourbon and planning her next big scoop. But an assignment to cover FDR's campaign and write a feature on his wife, Eleanor, turns Hick's hard-won independent life on its ear. Soon her work and the secret entanglement with the new first lady will take her from New York and Washington to Scotts Run, West Virginia, where impoverished coal miners' families wait in fear that the New Deal's promised hope will pass them by. Together, Eleanor and Hick imagine how the new town of Arthurdale could change the fate of hundreds of lives. But doing what is right does not come cheap, and Hick will pay in ways she could never have imagined. Undiscovered Country artfully mixes fact and fiction to portray the intense relationship between this unlikely pair. Inspired by the historical record, including the more than 3,000 letters Hick and Eleanor exchanged over a span of 30 years. McNeese tells this story through Hick's tough, tender, and unforgettable voice. A remarkable portrait of Depression-era America, this novel tells the poignant story of how a love that was forced to remain hidden nevertheless changed history. Remember that I can only include forthcoming books in this regular segment if I know they exist. So if you have or know of an upcoming book that might fall in the category of lesbian historical fiction, let me know so I can check it out. Instead of the usual Ask Sappho segment in this podcast, I have a short interview with composer and artist Phoebe Legere about her off-Broadway musical about the life of Marion Jo Carstairs, an heiress, celebrity, and speedboat racer whose life spans most of the 20th century and traces the changing experience of lesbian identity throughout that period. Phoebe Legere seems quite a colorful character herself and is very excited about the topic of her one-woman show. At the end of the interview, there will be information about when and where the show will be performed and a special deal for our listeners. This month, we have a real treat. I'm talking with Phoebe Legere, who has a new show coming up in New York City about a fascinating character in lesbian history. Phoebe, why don't you tell us about your show? Thanks, Heather. Hello, my name is Phoebe Legere, and I have written a musical called Speed Queen, Sex, Speed, and High Society, The Joe Carstairs Story. In 1928, Joe Carstairs was the number one speedboat racing champion of the world. And in 1926 and 27, she set the world speed record. Joe Carstairs came to boarding school in America, but she really thought of herself as an English person, and she had a beautiful English accent. She was a cross-dresser. It was before the time when people could make the choice to be transgender, but she had the soul of a boy, and she identified who she really was. From a very young age, her real name was Marion Betty Carstairs, but she took the name Joe, as so many of us have chosen our own gender non-conforming, gender neutral, or actually gender queer names. I like my friends to call me Chuck. 
I found a great resonance with this character. I was deeply inspired by her. There was a book written in the mid-90s, which was called The Queen of Whale Key. And I'll tell you what that title means, but first I'm going to tell you a little bit about the musical. You can imagine, here I have a character who is much larger than life. She was the heir to the Standard Oil fortune. I call her a butch billionaire bon vivant. She started driving an ambulance at age 16 in World War I. Now, World War I was a particularly grotesquely gory, rough, bloody war. Each of the major countries lost a million young men. Women could not fight at that time. The only way they could get involved was to drive ambulances. So Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas drove an ambulance. And Oscar Wilde's niece, Dolly Wilde, who figures into my story because she was Joe's first girlfriend. Joe was 16 and Dolly Wilde was about 21. There they are driving these vehicles over war-scorched white rubble of earth that had been beautiful villages, farms, green fields, and the, this destroyed, devastated landscape is now filled with body parts, dead bodies, shrieking men, and these are young women who came mostly from very sheltered backgrounds. You can imagine what Joe Carstairs' background was. Her parents lived on the corner of Central Park and Fifth Avenue where the Apple Store is now in New York City. In other words, just as grand and elegant a background as could be. How did she get so rich? Her grandfather was the treasurer for John D. Rockefeller and actually put together, he was the brain who figured out how to use fraud to control the market price of oil and to completely monopolize. He created the first modern monopoly on oil and railroads. And so naturally, her grandfather, having a piece of all this action, became very very rich. In fact, Joe Carstairs inherited $200 million when she was 21. She took that money and she immediately, her first business venture was she created an all-girl car service called X Garage. And so I opened my musical, driving that ambulance, body parts flying through the air, pieces of human bodies actually animated as puppets. And above the whole scene is a deity, and it is Joe Carstairs who has been such a guide and a muse for my creation of this musical. I play Joe and eight of her girlfriends. She had movie star girlfriends. She always had beautiful girlfriends. She had 114 girlfriends in her life. And remember, this is a time before gayness was at all accepted socially. And yet, after World War I, there were so few men left that the culture at large accepted boyishness. If you think of the fashions of the 20s, which suppressed the female form, there were incredible cross-dressing female gay clubs like Le Monocle. And you can research this on Google and you can see Kiki Montparnasse who ran Le Monocle and these very elegant butch ladies with their beautiful girlfriends. And everybody was having a really good time there from the mid-20s to the late-20s because gayness and cross-dressing were the height of fashion. Joe Carstairs was happy to take up the slack, and she moved in and 
took the opportunity of a lifetime and began to compete with men on their own turf in motorboat racing. Because she was so rich, she built the most, she invented really a hydroplane that could go 100 miles an hour. Well, Joe, I met Joe Carstairs when she was 92. I became friends mm. with her girlfriend, and she came to hear me play at a little club called Bobby Vans in Bridgehampton. Joe Carstairs, after World War I, got involved with the lesbian underground in Paris. She began to hang out at a salon. There were two very famous salons. You've all heard of Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Topas. But I think the gender studies and feminist studies uh, students will know the name Natalie Varney, who was also a very rich, gorgeous, oh, lesbian poet. And she was heavily influenced by the new discoveries of Sappho's poetry and the fact that there was a, an island called Lesbos where gayness and art were absolutely the order of the day in the 6th century B.C. And so people like Isadora Duncan and Natalie Barney and Juna Barnes, who wrote Nightwood, and Romaine Brooks and Radcliffe Hall. But anyway, back to our story. That's where Joe met Tallulah Bankhead, Gwen Farrar, and a lot of these very, very bright, creative lesbians. So I thought, this is a musical, and I'm doing it at a place called Dixon Place, which is uh, very famous for being gay-friendly, supporting and nurturing women's work, and very accepting of gayness. So does that tell you who Joe Carstairs is? Joe Carstairs fell in love. She had 114 girlfriends. It was a big part of this. The action, the conflict in this is that she became involved with Marlena Dietrich at the time that Dietrich was the most important international movie star with tremendous social and financial power. And Dietrich would sail her 88-foot yacht to Joe's private island. Now, in 1930, the tide turned against lesbians and cross-dressers. They started to try to suppress strong women. The, the athletes, sportswomen, came in for a particular abuse. And there had been newsreels of Joe Carstairs. If you search, you can actually see this adorable little baby died. She is so gorgeous. And they turned against them in the headlines, on the news. In 1930, the tide turned against Joe Carstairs and her friends. If you remember the well of loneliness, Joe, her girlfriend Bobby, Noel Coward, all of the gay people, Natalie, they're all Dolly Wilde. They're all depicted in the well of loneliness, which I'm sure many of you have read by Radcliffe Hall. The book was banned. There were several other performance artists doing gay work. We don't have time to cover all of them, who were absolutely banned and their careers destroyed because they were known homosexuals. Tallulah Bankhead, who had been the biggest star in Hollywood, she absolutely fascinating genius, unbelievable woman, brilliant. She'd be running for president today. They took her act because of her sympathy with the parties of the left, because at this time there starts to be the bread baiting too, and all of these people, Greta Garbo and Marlena, come out of the Weimar Marxist gay free love culture. That's where Marlena and Greta Garbo grow from, and they were lovers in 1925, and I explore that. I even have a song, which is called The Ballad of Garbo and Dietrich. I'm quite pleased with it. I wrote it in a Kurt Vile style. So in 1930, the tide turns against all of these lesbians who are living the life of Riley. And so Joe says, I've had enough because she doesn't have to take any crap. And she says, I'm me and I'm going to go buy an island 
and I'm going to do whatever I want there. And she bought what I call Lesbian Island, and I have a song, Welcome to Lesbian Island. It's actually Whale Key, and this is why they called it the Queen of Whale Key, because she ruled her kingdom like a king. And at that time, she's now in her 30s, crossing over into her 40s. The play goes from Act 1, which is describing her early life as a billionaire in Europe, and then Act 2 is the act, what she did as she received her royal visitors and movie stars on Lesbian Island. And then the final act, Act 3, is when she came to see me play the piano at Bobby Vans when I was 20 years old. She came in, she gave me a $500 cash tip, which always gets my attention, and she requested Sand in My Shoes. That's a very old song because she had to leave well he she developed problems in her hip she was on two canes when she came but she had charisma she had that great boyish charm so that was absolutely fascinating phoebe so why don't you give us the details about the show itself it's going to be playing in new york city at uh, what was the theater again dixon place uh here are the dates it's March 7th to the 24th. We open the 7th. We'd love to see you on the 7th. And for the fans of Heather Rose Jones, I don't know, do you have a handle? For the, for the fans of the show, of the podcast, we have a code which will get you $5 off. And the code is Speed Queen, one word, Speed Queen, which is the name of the show. Thank you. And it, I run, it's at 7.30. At 161A Christie Street, that's between Rivington and Delancey, at Dixon Place. And even if you don't come to my show, hang out at Dixon Place. It's very much, it's as close to Natalie Barney's salon as you're ever going to get. And I understand you, you mentioned that if the show does well, you may be taking it on a little tour? Oh, we are already booked in, at the Empire Theater in Fort Lauderdale. And that will be in the fall. I don't have an exact opening date, but that's in right in the gay neighborhood, a very elegant gay neighborhood in Fort Lauderdale, which is right on the ocean. So I'll be able to come to the show in my motorboat every night. And then we have strong interests in San Francisco and Provincetown. And I don't want to say the names of the theaters, but everybody's loving Speed Queen. Thank you so much, Phoebe. I will put all the details about the show in the show notes for the podcast. And uh, for all of my listeners out there who find yourselves in New York City in March at the appropriate time, I really encourage you to check out the show. It looks fabulous. Thank you very much, Heather. And that wraps up this month's look at what's on the shelf. I hope you're looking forward to this month's podcast features as much as I am. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 